I never saw my writing make as much of a difference and draw as much of a reaction as when I started writing about food. Because I was writing about real people who, who are ignored, who are uh, overlooked in the sense. You go to your favorite restaurant, but you don't think that there's, you don't even think about the chef that's in the back cooking or, or the, the, pro, the long, interminably long process that the food took to get to your plate from yeah. the people who picked it in what country and what their status was to where you are paying. And, and I felt like when I, when I write about food, I can, those are, there are many more stories to tell in one dish. Welcome to this special headphoneless episode of Pancom Podcast because I forgot them at home. But I will be monitoring the audio visually with the little barritas on this aparato. We are joined as usual by 8th grade basketball MVP, chili cook-off champion, and alleged chef Michael Beltran. I'm not sure anymore. And special guest, the James Beard award-winning Miami Herald food editor, Carlos Frias. And this is one... That I will, I will, every once in a while I decide to preempt Mike with, with an introduction. The last time I did that was, uh, was Rosa Maria Paya. I have not read your book. However, I wish I could find them. Maybe you can tell me why I can't. I have you, two you copies. Can find, you can find it at the Chug's no, no, Diner Bookstore. Not the book, not the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the, the columns, not columns, the series that you wrote for the Palm Beach Post before the book came out. Oh, okay, yeah. And what year was that? Uh, that would have been 2006. 2006. So I was either a oh. freshman or a sophomore in college. Uh, oh. I am not an emotional person, but I remember having to excuse myself as a strong word because I was in a big auditorium classroom at the University of Missouri. Uh, and I was fucking crying reading that. It was the, at least on like a personal impact level. Easily the most memorable, most impactful thing that I've ever read from a from a newspaper uh, uh, writer. Uh, so I'm just throwing that in there. Man, I, this the, is just such a day of learning. I did not know Nick had emotions. I didn't either <laughs> until I read that thing, until I read that series. And, That's really nice of you. I appreciate it. And breaking news, Nick is also colorblind. That's right. Red, green, colorblind. Wow. We're all learning yeah. new things here today. What a day. That's really nice of you to say, Nick. I, I appreciate it. No, that. no, I, I've, and I think maybe I, I don't know if I wrote you or what or something, but, uh, but yeah, ever since then I've been I've been dying to meet you to say that. Wow, well, that's really that's surprising. I don't, I, I, I didn't think anybody would remember that series particularly. But so that's my next question, or really my only question before I hand this off to the real host <laughs> of the the real star of the show here. I don't do shit here. Uh, where did it go? Because I've since you wrote it. It's, it seems like it just disappeared at some point. Yeah, no, I mean, basically, those every newspaper, every it seems like every ten years or every seven, some seven years, redoes their technology system, yeah. whatever, and certain stories just get purged. So, got it. it so exists. it wasn't related to the release of the book, which I imagine had a lot of the same, not the same writing, but yeah, it built on that. Yeah, no, yeah. it had nothing to do with that specifically. But okay. then it turned out to be like my writing skeleton for the for the yeah. book. Yeah, got it. Anyway, that's all I got. Oh, well, I'll you. All right. That was well, fussy. Great. I guess I we're done here. Ahead. We're all... <laughs> I'm out of here. It's been great, guys. <laughs> See you guys later.
This episode of Pancong Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Drew Estate and Master Blender Willie Herrera, who are proud to introduce the Herrera Esteli Miami Cigar. Crafted by Level 9 Cuban Rollers at El Titan de Bronce in Calle Ocho, the complete Herrera Esteli Miami line is expertly rolled with a lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder with select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. The new look of Herrera Esteli Miami features a black and gold color tone and is available in the following five Vitolas. Nick, tell everyone, what is a Vitola? A Vitola, and by the way, I would like everyone listening to this ad to know, this is the first take, and we're doing very well. <laughs> I am shocked. I have no idea what's going on, and I have to say it's because of the an- anxious coffee that Nick has made. Oh, man. Just wait for the poops. Uh, a Vitola, the term Vitola refers to the sizes of the cigars, right? So some of the common ones that people hear are Robusto and Corona and mm. Churchill. Uh, those are all terms for Vitolas. The five Vitolas that Just, the... I want to interrupt you because it's not always about the size of the cigar. That's true. It is the type of cigar. So tell them. That's true. So the five the five Vitolas that, uh, that Herrera Tele comes in are Herrera Tele Miami Robusto Grande, 5 by 50 Should we go with like... Uh, anglicized pronunciations is it a, for because your name is on the sandwich is this a robusto grande or a robusto grande i mean it depends how do you feel like our listeners in salina would feel i want them to feel like it's robusto grande <laughs> bueno that's a good vitola so robusto grande which is a five by 50 by the way for the uninitiated five by 50 means it is five inches long and 50 64ths of an inch in diameter so uh, close to 5'6". So just you have pa- painting a picture here in your mind. Robusto Grande, which is a 5x50. Toro Especial, which is 6x52. Lonsdale Deluxe, a 6.5x44. Piramide Fino, 6.5x54. Short Corona Gorda, which is 5 and 3 quarters by 48 This cigar is exclusive to Drew Diplomat Retailers. For more information, you can visit DrewEstate.com. That's D-R-E-W Estate. Dot com, or follow them at, at Drew Estate Cigar on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Mike, you had this cigar. I know that you're a Drew Estate fan. I am a Drew Estate fan. I'm very glad that they've come on as a part. I, as a general rule, I want to make sure that to the extent that we can, and we've pulled this off so far, we're only partnering with people and taking money from people whose products we're actually into. Like Santos. Uh, absolutely like Santos Sangria. Santos Sangria. I, I, I actually have told them, like, I'll, listen, I'll give you an ad because I'm out of Santos Sangria. Right. Uh, I have to say that um, after going through this ad, one of the things that sticks out to me the most is how very much I feel like this is softcore Cinemax porn at 11 o'clock. Explain to everyone a rich Ecuadorian <laughs> Sumatran binder how that doesn't sound... Very sexual. Listen, I, I don't know that the people at Drew Estate would object to our <laughs> selling not. them as a sexual product. Yeah. Uh, but in case anybody's curious about what that even means, so Ecuadorian Sumatran binder. So I, Sumatran is not a style of... That's the thing. Of sexual style. It's not a sexual style. Got it. I mean, although it depends, some people do sexual things with their cigars. All right. Listen, you open this door. Man, we fucked this ad up already. <laughs> Jeez. No, but, uh, but Ecuadorian Sumatran. That might sound confusing to people who know their geography because Ecuador and Sumatra are both places. 
It is a Sumatran binder, meaning that it is a variety of tobacco uh, named for Sumatra, but it was grown in Ecuador. And you see this a lot in cigars where you have a, an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper, uh, which means that it's a uh, Connecticut tobacco variety but grown in Ecuador. People who listen to this podcast are going to hear a smoke. Pretty soon we're going to have Willy Herrera, the master blender, on as a guest on the podcast. Uh, if you're curious about cigars, that is definitely one you want to tune in for. I have to say that I, I smoke a pretty good wide range of cigars, and I, I gravitate towards Drew Estate a lot. I mm-hmm. think that the consistent how consistent and good those cigars are is like very rare. And we've talked about that a lot. Like, you know, sometimes you'll get a cigar and then it'll be great. And then you go back to get it like six months later and it's just not as good. I've never had that experience with Drew Estate stuff. And it's like, I I don't know. I've, I've been a fan for a long time, way before they started paying me to say I was a fan. (laughs) Way before. No, it's true. Yeah. It's true. No, we've been to cigar shops together more than once. You've pointed out Drew Estate things. But that's what I I I smoked that, and that's awesome. The red label uh, Herrera Esteli, I smoke every week. Yeah. Yeah. Every week, it'll be the first, like, you know, when I go to one of these places, I'll go. That's the first thing I grab, and then I'll go into something else second if I decide to smoke two or three that day. So I'm glad you brought that up because I want to make a distinction here. You you referenced the the one that has the the red red label label on it. Red and gold, yeah. And that's the core Herrera Esteli. Which is made in Esteli. Esteli is uh, the Nicaraguan sort of capital of cigar making. The Esteli Miami that we'd been talking about is actually made, and this is referenced in the copy that we read, but El Titan de Bronce in, in Little Havana. Uh, so this is also a cigar that you want to go after. And I remember I, I uh, passed this along to one of our friends in the uh, social media sphere who was putting together a list of local businesses. And I said, ah. like, hey, you might want to check out El Titan de Bronce. Uh, and El Titan in Little Havana is not just in Miami, but in the country, one of a very, very small number of American cigar factories that actually distribute all over the place. So it's cool that, you know, uh, that this is a product that people everywhere have access to. Um, and and it comes from a small factory in Miami that has a, a very good reputation, not just all over the country, but all over the world. Somebody gave me one of these Miami ones for Christmas. So it was delicious. Merry Christmas. So, again, this cigar is exclusive to Drew Estate, uh, to Drew Diplomat Retailers. For more information, DrewEstate.com or follow them, Drew Estate Cigar on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We expect sales to go up 20% after this ad. I might cut that out. (laughs) Carlos, man, I haven't seen you uh, since Chugs was open since church is open the so beginning was, of the thing yeah so march at the beginning of the thing i remember we saw each other right right by then we were like do we do the elbow i think we did what we did just here. what we, we we elbowed we elbowed i think maybe we had maybe not i don't know no we did I can't remember. we did have yeah masks. we did i mean it was a uh, chug was open so it was a requirement obviously to wear a mask right. if you're in there working i forget because it was at the very beginning it was at the very very yeah beginning. i mean chug there you go nick there it is make sure it's still recording yeah, huh? don't worry God, you're all emotional and you're dropping things. No, like this things is are crazy. Things are happening. Colorblind, it's black. You so, <laughs> all right. Um, Chugs was one of the ones that didn't close. It was uh, one of the only ones that didn't close because we just did like the takeout window. Right. We just got rid of all the seats. So, we we stayed open throughout. And then I saw you just like right at the beginning of the whole thing. Yeah. And then we've texted some and we've spoken on the phone some, but man. Welcome to 2021. Yeah, it's like, it's. I, I wrote the other day, I was like, it feels like 
December thirty seventh, twenty twenty. You know. Yeah, that was that was January six, right? Yeah. So we just like keep going. We yeah. keep going where we were. You know. It was it was a continuation of twenty twenty for Very sure. Very odd, man. So, how are you? Um, good, man. I I've tried to stay busy. You know, like you guys. You know, uh, in the sense that. Uh, as you guys try to, you meaning the restaurant industry, as you guys pivot and and try to like uh, figure out what's next and how to stay in business and stay relevant, that's basically been my my assignment. Is just like how are the how how is this industry that makes up such a large part of Miami kept afloat? How has it been able to keep people employed and keep? Chugging along, no no pun intended. You know? I like that pun. That's a yeah, good. You one. saw that? It's a good one. I yeah. see. I see what you did there. That's free. That's free. Plug for free. Last time we did a podcast together, it was actually a different podcast. Tea time with Mike and Mike, and uh, right? Yeah. And you came wearing your James Beard award. That's right. Definitely, you just wanted to show me. I guess it was. Yeah, it was a bit of a flex. Yeah, <laughs> but look, it was it was very soon after. Give yeah, me a no, break. Listen, if I if I had one too, I I'd probably. Uh, I'd add it to my gold chain that my mom gave me. I would <laughs> right. just wear it Get all the time. Get it gold-plated and yeah, put it on a... Like, I'd, everyone would be like, why are you hunching over? I'm like, because my massive medal. La medallona. Yeah. Um, I guess for people that don't know you, let's give them a little bit of context of like your background. Um, you know, you all the things that you've covered because you haven't just covered food. Um, so, yeah. Just a little bit of that. Well, I think if you crawled up on top of this building, you could see where I was born, uh, Mercy Hospital. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, you know, I, I definitely have my roots in Miami, you know. But I grew up in Broward, like right on the other side of the line there. And, it's um, a different line. Oh, my God. Yeah, it, it's it, way it, different. It's like, it's like our own little Mason-Dixon line. Yeah. And um, so I, I grew up there. Um, and, uh, and, you know, a feeling like... Feeling like I wanted to really be connected to my to my Cubanness, my Miaminess, because all my you know obviously I'm I'm the son of Cuban exiles, uh, and all my family is down here in Miami. So it was like this longing to be connected with like where it was happening, La Sauesera, you know. And um, welcome, and that kind we of, accept you with open arms. Yeah, well, yeah. I appreciate it, and that stayed with me for years, you know. Yeah. So it was always this thing of um, of being hyper aware of. Of trying to 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 honor that, especially like the further you get home from home, the closer you hold on to the things that that make you who you are. You know, it's interesting because like growing up here, living here forever, everything is just very like I'm very used to just things always being there. Right. Our very Cuban nature. In every corner, there's a cotadito and pastelitos and croquetas. And then I moved to Virginia when I was. Uh, 17 for college and I felt more Cuban than ever because it was none of our things and I felt like I longed for that even more and I as much as it distance uh, there was more distance between me and my culture I became more close to it because I I identified with it more because that was who I was as a part to like we are this is just our community you know what I mean because I was the only Cuban I was the only guy from Miami I was the only lot of things. So it's like up there, it's like, you know, you're either um, African-American, white or uh, Mexican usually. So I remember when I got there and you know I started talking, they're like, boy, where are you from? 
you don't sound like you're from around here. I'm like, boy, <laughs> boy is a two is a two syllable word. Yeah, and I was like, well, because I'm not. You know, I'm from Miami. He's like, oh, you from Miami? Like, yeah. He's like, I'm Cuban. He's like, well, you don't look Mexican. I'm like, because I'm not. <laughs> I'm actually Cuban. Yeah. What? So it's just like, yeah. So I guess I I wanted to uh, like latch onto that even more because it was who I was. Yeah. Have you you've not been to Cuba, right? I have not. All right. When uh, I felt it's funny when I went to Cuba as a reporter uh, in 2006, I always say that I never felt as American as I have going to Cuba. Oh yeah. Because you realize that really the thing that you have in common is language. Because even the culture is very different. Right. And then when I came home, I never felt more Cuban. Right. Right, because I'd been touched by that, you know. Let me ask you: Is it because the Cuba that we resonate with and what we grew up with is very different than what's currently there because of everything that's happened in the last sixty years? Yeah, for sure. The we made our own culture here. Miami is Miami is a, is a culture created Cuba with with Miami. You know the the old southern Miami. The, the, I like that. You got you got Miami and you got Miami. Miami, and they meet here. And so, like that yeah. culture, the culture that we grew up with, even the Cuban culture, is colored by what the weather being a little bit different, yeah. the food necessarily being different. You know, yeah, yeah. So we grew up with a with in like this pocket, this bubble that didn't change. Uh, the Nick always says. Uh, a thing that the guy that you used to work with that just came recently from Cuba when you were at Cigar Snub, uh-huh. and he said like the food here was. You remember this whole conversation we had? Yeah, I think I think you're referring to um, so our uh, Carluba's cousin, uh, who was the art director, still is the art director at Cigar Snob magazine, and he would travel with me occasionally, working on travel stories uh, for the magazine. So about every other month, you know, we would. Uh, go to some usually U.S. city uh, and eat, smoke, and drink our way through it, uh, and, and write about it later and pretend it was work. Um, That's a great. And yep. almost invariably, because he had come in maybe 2012, at about 25, 26 years old, I would say. Uh, and of course, there's the oh, you know, I'm dying to go to Cuba for whatever reason. People hear you're Cuban, they tell you they've been dying to go to Cuba. And some people would say that they've been dying to go to Cuba to eat Cuban food. And the thing he would mention to them was that his favorite dish, his favorite Cuban dish was croqueta preparada. Yes. And he ate it for the first time in Miami at 26 years old. Yeah. I think that's the story you're talking about. Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, there's no such thing as uh, you can't find a Cuban sandwich. Right. Uh, The most common food in Havana when I went, this is again, 2006, was pizza. What? Yeah. The most common food in Cuba is pizza. Simple. It's dough. That they have a, an overly sweet tomato sauce. The cheese that sounds is like, about as Cuban as you can get. Overly the cheese sweet. Is like a, the cheese sauce. is like a goat cheese. It's a very pungent. I'm farmers. not sure that it's goat, but it's a very. Pungent, it's like a farmer's cheese. Yeah, so it it's might like, be. It yeah. might be. Uh, they eat a lot of lamb. It might be. It might be lamb's milk for all I know. Like it's a really weird, strange, pungent. And uh, and I just was like. Kind of, it took it took a long time. Even by the time I left, where I is felt that like, why you have such an affinity for making pizza at home? Maybe I think you're tapping something. I am. I just inside. I think I just made a connection for you that you didn't know that you had. Look, pizza number one is the perfect food. 
Oh. It really is. Oh, I don't know about pizza's that. Pizza's a perfect food. I Listen, mean, I, I, I don't mind pizza. Bread and cheese. Yeah, I know, but that's also a sandwich. Listen, that's a big debate here. It's a calzone. A calzone is a sandwich. I, is a whoa! Is a calzone a sandwich? Oh, my God. I mean, it might be. This, Nick, I don't know what to do myself. Carlos, you have no idea what you've done. <laughs> We've had just like a raging debate. Let's just in- get this out of the way. Okay. Let's go. Round Unpack it, Nick. Unpack let's, it. Let's Start define sandwich. I'm going to define sandwich as. Everyone defines a sandwich right now. Pieces, right two now. pieces of bread that have been cut either from a loaf or from each other. Okay. And they, it good. is split on at least three sides such that a pita is disqualified, but. A sub that does not get cut all the way through is still in on the sandwich thing. However, if it's a single piece of dough that's been sealed all the way through, I would say a calzone, if an empanada is a hand a pie, large. a calzone is some kind of pie. Yeah, a calzone is closer to a, to a hand pie, but here's the question. Is a hand pie a sandwich? Absolutely. It's an empanada not. sandwich. No. Not the way that right, I just Because the it. bread goes all the way around. Yeah, but they're also baked. You're saying it's that the dough, sandwich, the dough is different. There has the, to have been a cut the somewhere in there. The rule of the sandwich is that the, the bread can't be completely sealing the ingredients, is what you're saying. I, well, I'm, I'm just saying that the bread needs to have been cut post bake. Because a pita. A pita's a sandwich if, you, if it's split open, like a little pita pocket. At that point, you've made. Right. It, well, it has to be split on three sides. Split on th- no, but a pita pocket is a sandwich. Come on, no, come on. A pocket, a pita pocket's a pocket, it's uh, but a- it's round, so you can't. It doesn't have sides. Oh, oh! this is such an intense debate, well, and I love it. <laughs> it doesn't well, have sides. I mean, in the way that, like, I'm saying three sides. Wait, in the way that a peninsula is surrounded by water on three sides. Per your it's distinction, not, you know, is a hot dog a sandwich? A hot dog is a sandwich. A hot dog is a hot dog, bro. We've already talked about a hot. This. If a sausage sandwich with any other sausage is a sandwich, a hot dog has to be a sandwich. But maybe the hot dog, maybe the sausage sandwich is a hoagie. Can I? Which, get, is, a, which is a variety so, of sandwich, three sides. Yeah, but is, calling it a sandwich seems like a like a racial slur to the to the. Hoagie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wrong year for that. Is is a uh, is a burger a sandwich? Yes. Yeah, it's a burger. Sandwich. In fact, if you look up hamburger, the definition is you did it is already. a sandwich. You did it already, didn't you? I did. I did it with I know Jr. Did. earlier. I know you did. But let me ask you a question. So, for instance, my frita. I don't cut all the way through. That's fine. But it's not a pocket. That's correct. It's on three sides. This has been a raging debate. Let yeah. me ask you a question. Do you know what a foldy is? A foldy? Yeah. No. I don't know what I, that is. I thought I you were making this up. I want to know what that is now. I think, fa- I think fat kids are the only ones that know the what The only people are. defining this online are the fattest people on Urban Dictionary. Because <laughs> <laughs> it does exist, but I thought you were making it up. No, it doesn't. Explain, it doesn't exist. Explain to me the foldy. What all right, it? so look. All right, so you are in the moment that you are creating a sandwich. Mm-hmm. You have all your sandwich preparation in front of you. Mm-hmm. You have your loaf of bread, whatever you choose. You have your protein. You have your cheese. You have your schmear, and you may even add vegetables. It depends what your flavor is. I don't know, right? So you walk into making the sandwich. You're walking in hungry. That's what's happening. You're walking into the situation hungry, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. The angel from above, Emma, brings round two. Never and was. so at that point, you're hungry. You know what? I will have one of those. Oh, now we're talking. I now things go off the rails, right, and I love it. Rum Negroni. Are you a... No, he's a rum guy. Come on. Yeah, yeah. For sure. That guy. sounds great. Perfect. That yeah. actually sounds really good. 
Um, so, as an appetizer, you grab a piece of bread, you smear some stuff in it, you put a little protein, you fold it, and you eat it while you're building your sandwich so you can do it comfortably in your own time and make it to the spec that you would like to make it. Is a foldy a taco? No, it's a foldy. It's not a taco. What distinguishes so, a taco is the fact that you're using a tortilla. Yes. Okay. I, I did see an interesting – I forget where this was. I really should have saved all this. I will write a full report. <laughs> I saw someone On the next op Dade Mag. I saw someone referring to a foldy as a half sandwich, which was a very interesting category to me. If you let it go, it's open-faced. It's an open-faced right. sandwich. But at that point, it's a tartine. Oh. Yeah, because an open face sandwich is not a sandwich. T- tell me about it's a, well, uh, it's a hot brown a sandwich. It's like crab with a K, like the K crab. Yeah, that's not, that's crab. not crab. So yeah, but is a hot is a hot brown a Kentucky hot brown a sandwich? I don't know what that is. Uh, no, Kentucky hot brown is like is it like a horseshoe? It's an op- it's an open face sandwich that's got like um, I I don't remember the exact protein, but I believe it's like turkey and then it's gravy on top. Oh yeah, it's yeah, a tartine. Yeah. Kentucky hot. I've had a hot brown. Yeah, how was it? Cagalera times a thousand. And pingal. <laughs> oh, man. And pingal. That was like, that's what you eat after enough bourbons that you make all the wrong decisions. Well, yeah, about what it's usually, eating. yeah. It's after, yeah, bourbon yeah. in Kentucky makes sense, right? Yeah, actually, I had one. I, I had my hot brown at, uh, where is the Kentucky Derby? What's the the, the track? Uh, oh, I don't oh, know. God. Yeah, the horse racing track where they do the, the derby. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Rich people it's, go to horse uh, races. It's not just for rich people. Come on. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll insert audio of myself saying the name of the place. Colorblind but. Nick. Uh, that's right. And also, my glasses are fogging with this mask, but uh, <laughs> so I don't see colors or anything. Uh, and then just to round out the sandwich portion, okay. uh, fill the audience and Carlos in on... How Our t- last podcast discussion about and your follow-up conversations that I have not been filled in on regarding the boy. All right. This is intense. The, so I have a, one of my chefs. She is uh, from the UK. She's like very English. She's heavy accent. You don't understand anything she says. She, she calls she, you love. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't call me love. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> She was walking by, and we we're having this foldy conversation. And I was like, "Ash is a foldy, a sandwich." And she says, "No, it's a buddy. It's a buddy, right?" A buddy. So then Nick goes into his YouTube rabbit hole of things, and a buddy is completely different. Go on, Nick. Yeah. So you were asking her whether whether a fo- whether she knew what a foldy was. You described right. a foldy to her, and she said, "Oh, that's a buddy." And then she clarified, a "Buddy." So, <laughs> saying, saying, saying that it was like a buddy, like saying that it was like you know, like a butt. So I looked this up. Apparently, a buddy is neither folded nor like a butt. It's a sandwich on buttered bread, and you got all kinds of buddies, including what apparently is a very popular one, the chip buddy, which is just a buttered French fry sandwich. Which sounds like a great idea when you are, but she won't up. call it a yeah. French fry. They're just they're chunk chips. Listen, chunk I chips. had this whole steak conversation fries. with her so, yesterday, yeah. also. So, so for her, a steak, fr- a, a, a chunk chip buddy is a steak fry sandwich on buttered bread. Yeah, but she yeah, but was, it's not a fry either because they're they're short. I'm telling you, there's a lot here. There's a lot pack. going on. Yeah, but it's more not. Like a but home it's. Fry. I just want to clarify because the last yeah, episode more like we a were, home fry. Yeah, 
we were, we were conflating buddies and foldies. And I don't want our listeners to travel to the UK and ask for foldies. Think they're going to get a buddy and look like idiots. You know. But I think oh. Carlos had, I mean, well, everyone's had a good point. It's a half sandwich. Just fold it in half. And then I'm, it's I'm a, comfortable it's, with half sandwich. It's really a tartine that you fold. That sounds Avocado toast is a tartine. To involve the word tartine sounds like the efforts of a fat person to dignify what they're doing <laughs> in this process. That, that's the French person going, eh, well, not a, it's not a butty, it's not a full, it's a tartine. Yeah, that's... Man, we're going to use that audio forever now. Ah. You have no idea. Mike, Mike, you are talking about the foldy and the... <laughs> The body and oh man, these are all these are all ridiculous things. Oh, tartan. That's incredible. We have reached a whole other level of amazing here on this podcast. I I haven't even had a drink yet. So, cheers, cheers. This is my drink of choice. This is what I drink. Oh, it's delicious. This is the only drink I drink. Actually. I really love that. I'm not usually a fan of... This is a Negroni? Yeah. But with rum. Yes. Dark I rum. Like, that's I like that better. Yeah. I'm not usually a fan of Negronis. I always just put rum in my cocktails. That's just the way I, I roll. Funny rum story. So I, I did this I did this story just kind of for shits and giggles. Uh, making a, a vegan coquito. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I so I made a vegan thing. coquito, okay. which on, you know... In and of itself is a whole uh, controversial conversation. So oh, I, so I wrote. I was like, I had Bacardi white rum. I used Bacardi white rum. So like today in the mail, I get a box. I open up. It's four bottles of Don Q. Oh yeah, Puerto Rican rum. Of course. Because I got a note from like the Don Q person, like, Hey, I saw your story. That was really cool. You should really try it with. The actual Puerto Rican rum. Welcome to the influencer. Oh no, that's <laughs> terrible. But I, I've not posted a picture of it. Good for you. That's good. I'm also not making money on the side, which that, that's, that's the that's oh man. Let me tell you. Mark of the influencer. I don't. I don't know if you if you've heard the episode with uh, with Larry Carino, but that was quite intense. Oh, I need to get to that one. I haven't heard it yet. That was uh, it was quite an intense conversation, and I think. Uh, it'll lead to some of the things that we talk about now, which is like journalism, media, the influencer world, and especially the way that the world has changed in the last year and how that will continue to change is just astronomical, right? So I'm going to reference the shirt that you're wearing. Support local journalists, right? I, I don't know the bo- what the bottom says, but... It says... Uh, buy them a beer. Buy them beer. Well, I bought you a drink. You so a we're, drink, we're so. equal. Yeah, for sure. But me personally, I I subscribe to the... I have digital subscriptions to four different um, journalism things. Wow! Wow! Yeah, that's that's a real unique thing nowadays. I mean, well, really I mean, is. I think in my mind, I don't care for the influencer. I care for the journalist because I feel like I'd rather hear a story than see a post. Right? Does that make sense? Oh yeah. I'd much rather hear a podcast than watch uh, Bite, Bite, what was it, Bite for Bite, Nick? Bite for Bite? Yeah, Bite for Bite just hit me up for a, on t- Bite for Bite just hit me up for a collaboration. You got to do uh, the dance like. Yeah, no, it was like, um, they were like, you know, we've had so many inquiries about your place and we would love to collaborate. And then I just sent a screenshot to Larry and I was like, would you like to collaborate with these people? And um, I'd much rather 
hear a story like the story you wrote about in Manicero, right? I did uh, not write in Manicero. Who wrote that? About? I don't know. That was not me, though. Can't take credit for that. Although I would like to write about it, Manny said. The guy in Little Havana that uh, sells all the peanuts? Yeah, I have not written about that guy. But I do want to. Man. If somebody did. You don't remember that piece? We'll give him some props, whoever they were. The, no, go ahead. There was an article about Manicero that was in the Herald, too. In Little Havana. It's possible. That was maybe it was just a piece on Little Havana and then he was in it. Oh, maybe. That might have been it. Yeah, maybe because he's been there for 20 years easily. So maybe it was just a piece on the neighborhood. But things like that that tell more of like a human interest story, things that connect to a community, and also restaurants that connect to a community as a part to just like, we went to this place, we didn't pay for anything, we ate these things, and then we gave them a 7 out of 10. I don't know. Like shit like that doesn't interest me. Yeah. Um, I I mean, I think think journalism, it's... It's very clear, right? Like, it's a product that has no interest other than serving the reader. You pay for it. That's the that's the journalism. I, I, the influencer I, isn't isn't advertising. It's advertising and marketing. But as much as I agree with you, I also disagree with some of that because, okay. for instance, in the arenas that we like communicate, because we do communicate through other arenas other than text and talking. When you look at some of the other food editors around the country that have a lot of influence, the stuff that they say on, let's say, Twitter is more self-serving than it is actual information about the world. For instance, people from Food & Wine, the editor from Food & Wine, the editor from Bon Appetit, which that's a train wreck in and of itself, and other prominent editors more talking about how dare you go out to eat because of how dangerous it is instead of talking about there's a lot of people doing some really special things. And I think that's where it seems more self-serving because a lot of people listen to them on whatever platform they're on as a part to this is factual information and this is what's happening. I, I think that there's – the world has been – has become so kind of like fuzzy. You know what I'm saying? Like there is no line. Like there's editors that hang out with influencers, not you. There's other ones that hang out with influencers and they go to dinner together and that. What is that table really doing? Like, what's happening at that dinner? You know what know. I'm saying? And I think that's why you and I have always gotten along so well, because I respect the work that you do and what you've done in the past, and I also respect the fact that you don't put yourself in that situation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, you have to have a line. I mean, you have to line. Like, like look, to, like, I, you and I have never, I've never gone to your house and had dinner. We've never right. had, because I think you have to, you, you know, you can be always friendly with people, you know, and... But but you can't if if people that buy my newspaper are to value what I give them, they have to know that I'm not compromised, that I'm not right. getting anything for free, that I'm not my my life is not bettered in some quiet unseen way because of the stories that I write. There's right. no agenda other than serving the reader. And my my idea is that's always what I think about it, is how do I best serve the reader? And by that I mean. Uh, telling them about what restaurants are doing different. People still want to eat out. They don't want to like. Not everybody cooks. Not everybody even wants to cook. Oh no, so, that's for sure. So you give them, you give them options. You give them ideas that don't that to, that I feel yeah, in that sense that I do feel comfortable with. In other words, everything that I put out, I feel comfortable doing. I've not, I've not gone out. I've not gone out to a restaurant 
People love people love Mustangs until they drive by you. So I know, I know. I guess it's better to be in one. I'm more of a cruiser guy. We've talked about this. Yeah. 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 Um, what was I saying? Before we were so rudely interrupted yeah. by 427 horsepower or whatever. That you want your reader to feel like you're not compromised. Yes. Like, right. they know that, like... Like, it's almost like being a, an elected official in the sense that, like, they vote for me. They vote with their money. That's a loaded in a, and of itself. Yes, but, uh, that is. Statement. That is. Yeah. But they they vote with their money. They pay and say, I, I want your product because I, I like, I feel like I know where it's coming from and this is what it's worth to me. And uh, and they can cancel at any time, which you can't with a politician. <laughs> uh, Sadly. Yeah. And, uh, and I feel like that's something that you get with journalism. Yeah. An influencer, you really you're talking about advertising. You're saying someone who's got such a high profile that if I put my product next to them, it creates a mental image. Yeah, but it's also like you can – if I were to buy an ad for a magazine, and I think Nick could speak about this more, I know how many of those issues are going out on a quarterly basis, yeah? I mean, uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I think that – with magazines, what you have is that often they're audited, yeah. and so you have third parties verifying some of that information, newspapers as well. However, there maybe is a little more transparency on data, or there can be uh, with social media, because the creator, even the small-time creators, have so much access to their own metrics that you wouldn't if you were just somebody distributing like a small-time community newspaper or something, the... the the degree to which even just your average, no, even somebody who's not seeking to has access to those metrics is pretty impressive. But the influencer can buy followers. They can, but you can even, there are tools out there in the market for, for checking out how many of a person's followers are I know, how many people know about those tools? I think a lot of the people who are spending money there know about them. Eh, I would doubt that. But uh, I don't have any of those tools. Well, it's not a matter of having them. It's just like... There's just websites that you go and you plug in somebody's handle and it tells you. It's a you. lot of work. I mean, you put more work into other things. That's true. Yeah. I'm just saying. I, the, the, I, I was holding my ball tickler because uh, I... Uh, to me, influencers are like, are like flyers. Like, you go to your car, you get a flyer in your car. Yeah, come to my club. Right. It's like, oh, all right. This, I am now aware of this. Free lunch at I have no I have no uh, uh, measurement for... How legitimate this is, other than it exists in the universe. Well, so I'll, I'll make a comment that I'd be interested to hear your feedback on that I made with Larry. And then also ask a question. So on the last podcast, no, the last podcast we released, which was Larry Carino. By now, we might have put out the Dave Arvello one. Um, my comment was that I'm bothered by the term influencer period. Because in general, before the rise of influencerdom, the medium didn't make the practice, right? So you were doing advertising, whether you were doing it online or you were doing it on television or in print, or you were a publicist, whether your network was primarily in broadcast or whatever. Influencer, I think, is a term that really only serves to blur the lines to the benefit of the shysters who are not being transparent about the transactional aspect of how content ends up in their feeds. So that's one thing. And then just for the sake of not interrupting the thing again, I'm, you were talking earlier about, you know, the differences between journalism and, and the influencer class and all that. 
you're sort of in, a, in the unique position, not unique, I'm sure there's somewhere else in the world there's somebody in a similar position, but having come from sports, you have experience that a lot of people in food don't have, right? Where a lot of people who are covering food, even if they're all kinds of ethical, are dealing with small businesses where the person on the other end maybe doesn't have that experience or doesn't have somebody on their payroll whose job it is to know some of that stuff. In sports, you're dealing with massive organizations a lot of the time. So I wonder whether you, how useful you found that when you got into food. Because in sports, that's a less unique experience. But in food, you have a lot of people who, the people they're covering, don't know the rules. Right. So yeah. those are the, the two things. My, my comment there on being upset with the term and also just what it was for you to go from sports to food and how useful that was and whatever else. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that, you bring up a good point. I mean, I've been, I've been a sports writer. I was published at 19, you know, writing about sports. And, and I did that up until, you know, like 2009, I want to say. And so it was a career. And the way that it's become is that each athlete is their own individual business. For sure. You know, if you have 25 guys on a baseball roster, each one of those is a small to medium-sized business, you know. Got, when, when I stopped covering it, the... The major league minimum was uh, like $374,000 for the kid just called up. So like a year. So like, you know, there's businesses that make that. That's a restaurant, you know, a, a really small restaurant. So that's kind of how you you see it. But then you have this, this uh, uh, public relations control arm that is over the team and then over each individual. Frankly, I got tired of it, man. I got tired of cutting through so many layers to write about the people underneath. And the truth is, people just generally just want to know about the sport. They're semi-interested in the person and whatever. But I, I felt like, and I said this actually when I was when I won the James Beard medal, like I felt like when I was given the acceptance, I said, I never saw my writing make as much of a difference and draw as much of a reaction as when I started writing about food. Because I was writing about real people who, who are ignored, who are uh, overlooked in the sense. You go to your favorite restaurant, but you don't think that there's, you don't even think about the chef that's in the back cooking or, or the, the, pro, the long, interminably long process that the food took to get to your plate from yeah. the people who picked it in what country and what their status was to where you are paying. And, and I felt like when I, when I write about food, I can, those are there are many more stories to tell in one dish so that's why i've enjoyed it so much more i I think it's interesting that the i the whole like arena of food has changed dramatically in the last 20 years yeah and i think it's changed for the better and in some ways for the worse but it all depends which perspective you look at it through I think for the better because people are more aware of what it takes to put food on their plate and to execute the food at the level in which a lot of people execute it at. And I think they're just more aware. Um, are we done with celebrity chefs? What are those? Are we done with them? Are we well, done with... Well, what... I, you know... You know what they are. No, I, I, I know I can care less about them. I, you know, honestly, my favorite celebrity chef right now is Guy Fieri. He's like my it. favorite celebrity chef because in, during the pandemic, no one did more 
for community than that guy did. No one raised more money. No one supported the community more. No one was as open as possible as that guy was. And I can tell you from first-hand experience, I talked more shit about that guy than anyone under the fucking sun. And I will admit when I was fucking wrong, and I was wrong. Because while all the other celebrity chefs said, I have a lot of their fucking books and their food is nice and all this shit, while a lot of them tail between their legs, tuckered under, and fucking didn't do dick, that guy did a bunch. And I will say that I was wrong. I mean, there's celebrity some... chefs to me is just like celebrity in general. Like, celebrity in general is all what you make of it. Like, when I used to play sports, essentially, everyone puts their fucking cleats on the same way. And I will line up with whoever. It doesn't matter what status you have, All-American. I will line up the same way, and I will treat you the same way I treated the fucking practice squad guys that I played against all week. That's how it is. And I will never say that I think you're astronomically better than me. That's a, that's a mentality that I'll never adopt. So for me, the celebrity chef thing is what media makes of it. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like now you being, in essence, the head of Miami food media, right? Because the Miami Herald is essentially what that is. Everything we're seeing now is nothing but New York, Chicago, the West Coast, all coming to Miami. Yeah. And I hate to remind people, for years and years and years... We were the redheaded stepchild. Miami wasn't that. Miami was not the location. People don't understand. The clientele isn't there. Blah, 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 bullshit. So now the celebrity chefs want to come back, right? Because they've all failed here several times over. So now they want to come back. The big names want to come back. You know why? Because their economies are fucking closed. This goes back to politics. This isn't because they think we're great. So I think that for the media influencers which they'll never give a fuck because they only care about who pays them um and diners in essence and i i love and it it enamors me that behind you i see a bunch of people eating in my restaurant because i am nobody in the major food world i remind the diner they said that we weren't good enough before so now we're good enough only because we're open and that's essentially the root of it that is the root of it. I mean, we're seeing. We're. I mean, there. There's two things at play, right? Like there is, there is politics, and there's health and safety. Oh yeah. And and it's it's tough when the people who make the policy are dependent on on the rather people that make the the health and safety politics are dependent on on the politics on on the. On re-elections and such. Yeah. It makes it incredibly difficult to know what is true. So, like, what is a job like mine like? So, I listen to even, like, our health reporters, our health, who are writing, who are talking to, like, experts. And then saying, how does that apply to what you know and what those experts have written about restaurants? So, literally, my thing is just, like, a conduit. Grab it. What is it? What are you saying? What? It, how does it make sense? Put it together in a way that's understandable and get it to the reader. And the reader has to make their that choice. For, correct. You know, but then in the middle of that process, there's cognitive dissonance. There is there's noise, or one way or the other. Either certain things that are emphasized and certain things that are de-emphasized by local, state, national yep. government. 
I mean, for God's sake, there's no, there, you know, there was, there's no national policy for how we approached coronavirus. <laughs> I know. Right? I mean, we can all agree that there was no, there's no national mask mandate. There's no, even things that are, you know, you and I are sitting about, what, eight, ten feet apart. Right. And, uh. We've agreed that we're going to do it outside because we read, right? And we read like, oh, here's a study that was done, and they, and here's how they did it. And like, that's the role of media. That's the role of journalism, right? Is to cut through that. You know what? Um, when we reopened Nave, which has now been reopened now for about a month, um, I did a thing with NBC. I think it was uh, with Roxy. Um, She's a dear friend, and I've known her since I was, like, in high school. We're both Pace graduates. Oh, yeah? Yes, sir. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, she's amazing. And it was just, like, a quick, like, two-minute thing. And her question was, you know, with everything going on, which is, like, the rise in cases, the rise in this, uh, X, Y, and Z, why do you feel the need or why do you feel like you have to reopen? I said, because I need to survive. There is no one providing for me in the meantime and no one providing for my staff in the meantime. So it's a difficult decision. But at the end of the day, like, I mean, my employees, they still need to get paid, you know, and it was a and it was one of those things that I just I told her we we follow the rules in which we should follow that we are told that we should follow. And we do them to the T. And otherwise, you know, we have no choice because if not, Nave will not reopen. How different would it have been for you if the government said, these places are the places where you are most at risk for getting it. So everybody in those businesses has to close and we're going to pay everybody to stay home. Everybody in those businesses got to go home. You, the chef, and the, everybody cooking. And you're going to stay, and everybody's going to stay home for, listen to the science, six weeks. Yeah. How I mean, like that it takes, like the bill comes in, you get the thing, and it goes, or not even, it goes right to the, how di- how easy, how much different would your decision have been? Do I have to reopen? What do I have to do? What things are in place? Versus the government saying, we understand that you cannot close indefinitely without, Becoming homeless and unemployed. Yeah, I mean, stay I, I, home. Here's money to stay home until we've reached a level where this thing is passed. It would have been different. I mean, if so, there's two. There's two answers to that question. There's the personal answer and there's the professional one. Professionally, I would have said, yeah. I mean, that's cool. Everyone goes home. They do their thing. We're getting provided for, so we can close because they believe that this is the best thing for the thing. Me personally, I don't know, like, I am a workaholic, so I don't know if I can sit at home for six weeks. You know what I mean? Like, I would still be here doing things, doing something, but I'm also the owner. So a lot of times, and people don't like to believe this, but a lot of times the government provides for others and doesn't really provide for the ownership. And that's, I've seen a lot of that, you know, and that's okay. I'm, I'm totally fine with that because at the end of the day, the people make the place. The place don't make the people. And I've said that through and through a million times because my employees are what makes this restaurant and these restaurants special. I can only help direct traffic. So, you know, I mean, yeah, it would have been different. But at the end of the day, that's not what happened. 
Right. That's <laughs> that is not, not what that has not been what's happened. That is not what has happened in the past. And we haven't had that luxury. So we have had to try to provide for ourselves and for the people and for our employees because, I mean, it's been, it's been a rough 12 months. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't even imagine. Like, I'm looking at it from the outside. So, like, to me, what, what I, what's always been Thanks, uh, uh, admirable is how everybody pivoted uh, in a way that followed the rules, right? And, like, still made sense. But, like, first thing, like, people weren't closed two weeks before restaurants were selling groceries. Like, yeah. they pivoted to groceries. And everybody was takeout and delivery. And now they were doing, you know, uh, they were putting employees to deliver, figuring out whether they could be delivery drivers. Yeah. And uh, uh, if your restaurant wasn't used during the day, now you were running it out during the day to a pop-up that was going to open from 8 to noon before, till 2 before you took over and cleaned and started the, your regular shift. Like, that to me was the most interesting thing to write about because it's that's like human endurance, you yeah. know? I think, uh, if nothing else, the, the industry showed how scrappy it really is. I mean, this one, obviously I'm particular to this one. Because I know this one the best. But, I mean, the scrappy nature, the relentless attitude, the passion, the things. And, you know, I don't think people can really understand. And I've talked a lot about this the last, like, 10 days. Because I think in 2021, we're going to see the effect of this more. And I tell you, I, I tell you because you write about us, Right. The mental health aspect of 2020 will take effect in 2021. The toll that it took on so many people to prevail through it, to fight through it. The fight, and it's like, it's very admirable. You fight and you do the things, but it wears on so many. And I've seen it and I've been there for, you know, my people and myself included. I, I am not immune to the thing. Like, I have seen the toll that it's taken, and it will continue to be so. And then the thing is, is just like everything else in our industry, it's like, well, just make sure you cook my food right. <laughs> this is so much deeper than that. And it will, the effect of this, forget about financial, because money comes and goes. I'm the worst person when it comes to money, because I'm just like, whatever. It's a thing we created, right? But in essence, the mental aspect of all this We'll carry over to 2021, and we will see it affect 2021 more so. And it's like the deep, the deep, like the depth of it, and how it's like really taking a toll on many in the industry. Because they're not. I don't think people are at the place that they're not trying to be better. I think they're just worn the fuck out, man. Well, see, that's what that's what we can't forget is that. We still lived last year. We still yeah. had lives. We still had, uh, we still had personal losses. You know, uh, we still had, uh, you know, we 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 people lost their jobs. They got new jobs. They had the stresses. Your kid went to college for the first time. You know, uh, your kid started high school. Mine, one that of that all happened to you, right? Well, mine didn't start high school, but I, a buddy of mine took his he took his daughter to Gainesville in in uh, late August. Late August, you know. That's crazy. And I'll say that, you know, I'm sorry. And, and, and I'll say that um, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. I'm PSA. Uh, I was waiting for that. Yeah, I was waiting for that. 
because, you know, in our adult lifetimes, I covered three national championships. Yeah, I mean, that's all I'm saying. How, like, how many ex-convicts are on those three national championships? Anyway, hey, let's continue listen. about food. So, not to get too far into it, but, you know, this year, I, last year I lost my father. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, uh, people might not know, my, my, my father was 90, 92 years old. And uh, he would have been 93 November, but uh, a year earlier, my, my mom had passed away and he was going to move in with me. Um, and we'd started making plans and we'd had permits pulled to build onto my house. And he was still kind of hadn't gotten used to moving away from his house and we'd stop in and visit. And, uh, and uh, on February 29th, so two weeks before the world changed for everyone. Oh, yeah. Uh, in that's in the, the coronavirus sense, uh, my dad went back to his house and and he was shot and killed by a neighbor. Uh, and, was, and that's a thing that we've all had to deal with in the last year. Right. And like two weeks later, I came to work and the world had changed, and we had to start writing about right how our world is different now. Right. So that happened to other people. Post the pandemic beginning, so didn't have funerals. I was able to, you know, we were able to bury my father and have a funeral, and and that I'm sure that that people went through things like that in a very isolated way. You know, people lost some. I know that you had a close friend who who, who took his life, oh, and man. all those things. We lived. We had a complete, fully lived emotional world last year. Plus, we're all fighting for our health and our livelihoods, you know? Well, I, I think, you know, a, a lot of part of human life, and I, I'm only speaking for myself because I only know my own, is like when you go through grief or struggle, you have a safety net in something, right? It could be with people. It could be with family. It could be with having a casual drink with a friend. It could be drinking too much. It could be working too much. It could be whatever it is. But whatever your thing was is now probably gone. Yeah. And that's what we lived for a long time. Yeah. A, a really, really long time. And I saw, you know, I, the team is was still fairly large, like, during the whole thing. And I saw so many of my people go through internal struggle. And I, I tried to be there for all of them as much as I could. But it's a lot. And it was a lot because there was no avenue in which to expel that energy, to, like, get it all out into the world. Mm -hmm. And that's why, like, understanding that we still lived life during a fucked up time is astronomical. It's just like everyone that... <laughs> And, you know, we we're, I don't know, we're 10 days deep in the new year. And it's like, it's like well, 2021 is going to be all this. Like, listen, dude, it's still going to be a fucking struggle. Sit down, be an adult, and realize we're still going to struggle through it. But have an understanding of what we just went through and just try to make it better. Like, don't think just because it's a new number, it's going to change. We're still living through the same things. We're living through a presidential change that's a fucking nightmare in and of itself. We're living through politics that none of it makes any fucking sense. We're living through a time that it's like, it seems um, somewhat unprecedented. And at the same time, we're just trying to, like, survive. 
And I also had this reflection earlier today. Um, because I keep on saying it. I was writing something for Nick uh, earlier. It's like the idea of survival. But when you're surviving, you're not living. You're not living who you want to be. Because you're just trying to survive. And I think there's an emptiness in all that. That we've all tried to work through. You know what I mean? And everyone always like... Um, talks like the, the fucking bullshit about Miami is like because Miami and Billy is like number one for that but it's really all over the fucking country man it's all over the country that people are just trying to be who they want to be and it's like they don't know where to put it right now you know what I'm saying so uh, let's 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 turn the topic to some interesting things I'm curious I'm curious to get your thoughts on there's a restaurant that's going to open in Miami eminently. I don't know when. Oh, I I'm, can't wait to hear this one. Eminently. Uh, that's billing itself as a Chinese restaurant. They're calling it Los Chinos. Los Chinos. Los Chinos. Yeah. Nobody on that who conceived of the idea is Chinese. Their idea was, was I used to remember, you know, sitting around with my family on Sunday and saying, let's go to Los Chinos, which if you're, I hate to say it, but if you're Cuban in Miami, when you said Los Chinos, it was like, let's go to the any Asian place. Right. <laughs> you know, the Pan-Asian place, whatever. Right. So it's like it begins with a, a, a mentality, a stereotype. And now you're calling the restaurant Los Chinos. And all the preview advertising is like blonde white lady with like a rice hat and like a, a, a guy, a shirtless guy, yeah. a shirtless tanned, you know, Lothario with a samurai sword. And it says, a warrior will rise. And it's all this, look, and it's all this it's blatant, moronic, racial yeah, I know. appropriation. I know. And it drives me insane. Listen, I'm... I'm and I'm, we're giving them free advertising, so I apologize. But it's like... No, no, you're not wanna, giving it... Listen, I'm you're... I'm not going to write about that place. Because I, to me... That place is 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 a Disneyland, right? It's just like a it's like a fake Disney World thing sold to the masses. If you and it's on top of that, it's it's it's. Imagine if the place was called Los Negro. Mama <laughs> Los Negro. Mama that wouldn't Negro. that wouldn't work. It's not. It, it's well, not the same. Listen, it's not the same. Well, hold on, hold on. Listen, I I don't disagree with him that it's kind of the same. You need to get on your if, Okay, because here's why I think it's the same. Because if your family tradition was to go to the local Jamaican place and you said, Vamos para los negros. Vamos a comer a los, con los negros. But, not, but, okay, and people do, and but in a certain way, it, you're putting it, words in their mouth. Because now no, no, you've, no, take, they, you've taken Jamaican and you've applied pulled, to it a racial thing. No, but they They're not saying, vamos a los, and then a skin tone signifier. They're saying los chino. And the, what I, I forget where I read this, but... The explanation that I read was that it was a reference to Los, to Los Chino, as in Chinatown in Havana. No, 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 no. They may be trying to rewrite that now. But I mean, I forget. This is a while. This is a while ago, and that, and that may like, very well the, be what it is. I got the PR. But I got I'm, the PR saying, mention point, and I was like, "Hey, can you call me because this new restaurant you're telling me about it sounds like super racist? Will you call me because I need to understand like what?" Yeah, and, the, and the truth is... And it may very well be, but it's different from saying Jamaican and then let's go okay. to Los Negros. But look, let's, let's talk about what it is. It's, it's more so, like let's saying, let's go to Los Jamaicanos. Now, if you're saying... these are the, Now, if you're saying, let's go to the Bahamian restaurant and let's go to Los Jamaicanos, okay, that's more of an analog. I just but, have one statement because this is good. I don't want to interject. 
I personally would never name a restaurant Lo Chino. Just saying. Me per like I also wouldn't name it Lo Cuano or Lo Jamaicino. I wouldn't do that. Me. But that's because I find that a name should mean more. I agree. It's it's a it's it's I, a dumb name. Right. I, I think and it any, also, it anybody starts, can agree it's shitty branding. It starts with a stereotype, which is something that Cubans say. The, you know, one of the guys is Cuban-American. Something that Cubans say or, and, and Lanz will say is especially – I can only speak for Cubans and say, Mamo pa' los chino. And it's that, it starts like that. It but starts, the problem that I see is a, that you're taking what a lot of Cubans would say and you're saying – and that's what they're doing. We're talking about a specific set of people. And they are exactly doing that. But do they have Thai and Vietnamese? We'll find out. But they got to okay, wait. But, but, but that's what I'm a, saying. And so a we'll find out. If, if it's that we'll find out, it can't be we'll find out and that's exactly what they're doing. Either but, they're doing it so or we'll find out. Wait, wait, are you, do you want to defend them? No, I'm. I'm not defending the name. I'm not defending them. No, hold on. Oh, I'm saying You're that new to Nick. you, you <laughs> can is, you can issue criticisms and st- they can be worth criticizing, and there can still be a way to criticize them that pins unfair things on them. It can be stereotypes. It can be all of these things. But if we don't know whether it goes beyond the Chinese, right? Beyond Chinese cuisine or Chinese Cuban cuisine, if that's what they're trying to sell it as if they're actually going to stick to this Chinatown and Havana thing or whatever, I don't think it's fair unless we know what's on the menu to say that to pin on them this broad idea of, well, a lot of people like in the, there's this thing in the ether where, where people will say Lochino when they don't mean Chinese. What, what? Until we see that they're doing that, I don't want to go out and say that's what they're doing. Okay, they're not doing that. What they're doing is using every stereotype iconography to sell their product. Every, that's 100% every true. Every single yeah, stereotype iconography to that's, sell their product. Now, the I, same way now, that if a restaurant opened and they would call it Los Cubanos in Minneapolis, and that's how they would say it, Los Cubanos. They would sell guacamole. And they would just think about everything Latin, everything Latin and they would say, you know, like that would that would hurt. They had a, And there was a place that I know that had a big picture of Che Guevara because people... Oh, yeah, the one in D.C. that I, I walked about, into when I was drunk and I told them to go fuck themselves. Think, a, think about how hurtful that is. We don't have a large enough Chinese population in Miami to get to get out into the streets with pitchforks like they well, did on was, the D.C. Was, Capitol. In, in all fairness, but, I was driving around D.C. in a little scooter and I had had a couple drinks uh-huh. and I saw this menu and I was with uh, Pasolito Papi himself and Alex Gilardi, one of my former... Employees and a great person that he runs Lazy Oyster. If you ever want oysters at home, please hit him up. And uh, I've been looking at that place. I'm very curious about the Lazy Oyster. Oh, yeah. Oyster. Be curious about Alex. He's, he does good work. Be curious. Be curious about him. Um, and um, I I just walked in, and Alex was like, no, chef. Don't do it. It's not worth it. <laughs> and I walked in, and I was like, first of all, motherfuckers, guacamole is not Cuban. Secondly, Che Guevara can go suck a dick because this motherfucker is a piece of shit. And I walked out. But again, this but go think on. About, think about, okay, think about that feeling. That feeling right there. I understand. Just, I'm not disagreeing yeah, with the thing. But I'm it's not, not, but not, it's not the same. I think we're both but fighting with Nick. I think that's what we're saying. It's not the same because that, that would be like if you were a Chinese There's American. There's no way. I, I, listen, it's I not, get what you're saying. If they open up and there's just Chinese items on the menu, then I get it. Hold on. And then but the, even Che Guevara still, thing, the Che Guevara thing is more like if you were a Chinese American person and you walked into a Chinese restaurant with a bunch of fucking Mao posters on the walls. Now you're in. Now you're injecting yeah, no, now a certain political aspect. Yeah, yeah. To me, it's more like if you are selling Cuban food under the name Guajitos, 
Does it matter if you're Cuban and playing on Cuban stereotypes? Oh, all these, you know. Are you mad if they have guacamole on the menu? That's a separate question. Oh, man, because I That's am, a separate question. I am no, pissed. for me, it's enough to use the racial iconography. The cla- Like, you know what? What if the guy on the poster had, had big buck front teeth? Like, but he doesn't. That's a what if. That's not a no, what if. You're right, but, but it's bad enough because we decide where to draw the line. And it, the truth is, so here's just, so, it's just so here's about the where question. you put it. Can, unless you have Chinese ancestry, are you not allowed to do Chinese food? I don't think if you're Chinese, you call your place Los Chinos. That's not the question. Because you're talking about iconography now, not yeah. just the name. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are not Chinese and you have Chinese food, do you have to stay away from certain typefaces, from certain motifs in your decor? Do you have to stay away from everything Chinese? Because at some point, what we're asking for is for every restaurant, unless you can take a 23andMe test to look like it's a Hilton hotel, because no, no, no. God I'm forbid talking, you should, I'm talking you should about, come close to certain no, iconography. I'm talking about using race as a costume. That's what I'm talking I know, about. No, I know exactly. We had this it. whole conversation. Yeah, on yeah, yeah. We had it online, which is now it's great to have and in so, person. And so my question is, so what I'm saying is where is the line? Myself. No, no, no. I'm not going to project. I'm going to say, here's what I know. I know that right oh, now, so good. that restaurant is using race as a costume. So here's, okay, let's suppose and that, that to me if, is, if Mike opens is a Chinese so concept, offensive that I'm not willing to give it a second. I'm not willing to look at what they try to fine. do next. And that's fine. If Mike opens a Chinese let's not put Mike. If... Chef Let's X, not use Mike. If Chef X, who is not Chinese and who cannot trace their ancestry to China, opens a Chinese concept, do they have to stay away from, for example, using bamboo placemats? Are they not allowed to use certain typefaces? Because at some like, where is the line of how far can you go before you've begun to use, and I'm not going to say race because it's not a racial thing, it's a cultural thing as no, a costume. Ra- okay, I think it's race, number one. Well, because a, race is, a rice paddy hat is not a race. No, so that's no. a cult, that's a cultural practice. It's a. It's I don't a, know anything about it. I don't know anything about a rice hat other than in every movie when they want to tell you that somebody's Chinese, they put a rice hat on them. But also, like there are Chinese know, people in rice paddies who wear rice paddy hats. Okay, but that's fine. But but it's that's a, a, but that's a, not. What there are white people and black people. But who that's wear not why that first photo is a reference of that. That photo is look at a Chinese place. Look, yeah, easily, I get it. It's like a. It's like we're opening a Mexican place. And it's called Los Paco. It's called Pacos, and it's a, and it's and the first photo is a blonde girl with a big sombrero. No, I get it, but Super what offensive. I'm saying is, where is the line, right? Well, because I know that how, right how now much can you they're s- over it, and I'm asking where it is. I guess we have to see it. Like, well, a, but you have to know where was, it is to know they're over it. Who was the Supreme Court justice who says, I, I, you know, I, obscenity? I see it when I, I know it when I see it. Which is an awful way to judge it's cases. An, it's an awful way to judge. Cases. So let's let's actually draw the line instead of okay. if, if you're saying you're you're judging the case. By a way that you're acknowledging is an awful way to judge the case. Where is the line? How much Chinese esque stuff can you do before you cross the line? Because, look, let's just. This is I the person I had in mind when we did this on Twitter, and I'll just say it now Pablo Zitzman. Oh, Pablo Zitzman's story. typefaces, his menu, all of these things are evocative of a very specific culture. Do you have the same problem with Pablo Zitzman and Zitzum? Uh, he's not Chinese. He, his story is if his, that he just fell in love with Asian his, food being in Colombia. If all his like waiters it. were dressed in... in let's I'm not say, asking if. I'm asking what he's doing now. His no, typefaces... I, I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, wait, 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 I can't really judge Chinese. I just I don't know want to interject doing. here. His restaurant's not called Los Chinos. No, but what I'm saying is that... As a matter of fact, it was you, called No Name Chinese. It's really, well, well, I'm that saying Zitsum. Zitsum. So he's taking the name of a Colombian German man... And up and adding a sum so that it sounds a little Chinese, 
and he's got his Chinese-esque typefaces. He's got, you know, and, and, and beyond that, the food itself is as much a part of the culture as the rice patty hat. I think is he the wearing real... the culture as a costume by making dim sum? I don't think by make. I don't think making the food is that it's purporting that it's uh, that it's Chinese that right. it's uh, you know that that you are that you are an authority in a way that you're not. I think that's sure. where you. I think essentially no, I, where I they wanna, fucked up is Los Chinos. I just no and and listen. Yeah, I, I think, think it's I'm a just, stupid name. I, I think it's it's a lot no, of bad a, decisions. I think it's a racist name. It's I'm a lot of bad decisions all the way around, name. and I think it may very well be a racist name. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm. Well, I I'm just, not, and I'm not saying we have to agree. I, I'm, but I'm, I'm saying, just saying that I, as a general rule, before I say that about somebody, I want to make I, I'll put it this well, way. I'm not saying the racist. Tend, I'm saying the name to, of that place is racist. I, t- I prefer to ascribe. I, Raise your I, hand if you want another drink. Yes, I I prefer to not ascribe to racism what I can ascribe to stupidity. <laughs> no, but I <laughs> until think, I've I think, proven I think we that let I think we let people, I think we let people play dumb to get away. From from being racist, and that and you may can, very well be and true. Can, and racism could be a could be a, a a symptom of your of your stupidity of, or of your ignorance. Now, there's a difference between wi- ignorance and willful ignorance. But ra- but racism, I think, has to be willful. Like, well, I do think that if you, if your name of your restaurant is Los Chinos, and I'm guaranteeing you that they've heard, uh, sir, I. Uh, People have said that this restaurant is that this name is kind of racist, and you're like, no, 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 this goes back to my family. Then what you're doing is you're invalidating people's feelings. You're invalidating the fact you're being willfully ignorant. I, I think it's it's it's, it's a, not it's a, it's nobody a, to, said to me. It's a question of this, oh my god, of, uh, it's offensive. To me, it's a question of the sincerity of it. I think that you can be ignorant, you can land on the wrong decision. But whether it's racist to me is entirely a, a question of conscious of conscience, the, and and there's there's no way to know it. I just want to before I back out because this is my podcast. No, I, I mean, just want to know that listen, the caption legend. There's just such a stupid. It, if we don't agree that it's racist, we can agree that it's all just it's awful. It's just so bad. Awful is, awful like whoever's awful. getting paid to do this is just doing a bad job. Legend tells of a legendary warrior whose kung fu skills were stuff of legend. Is a quote from Kung Fu Panda. Jack Black. I just want to know this is a I Jack Black it. Kung Fu Panda quote. Jack Black. They're making a joke about Kung Fu Panda for whatever that's worth. It might, who I, knows? I, Maybe I it's still racist somehow. In, if it's racist, Kung Fu Panda's racist because Jack Black in was the playing world, a Chinese panda in a Disney movie. In the world that, like, uh, race, racism is... The idea of it, the whole essence of what you're talking about is a super hot button. Oh, yeah. Right? As a business owner, it's a bad fucking move. Thank you. It's a bad fucking move. I'm only talking from like, God, Emma, you are a saint. Jeez. We just got a second round of drinks here. That's what yeah. I'll have. Yeah, I know. It's quelling. It's quelling. It's quelling the, the end. The whole, like, the idea... As a business owner and someone that is unfolding a couple of new concepts, like you have to think of every angle of things. When, when I talk about finances and future projects and marketing and so on and so forth, all that stuff matters. And when you're sitting in a room and you're like, yeah, Lochinos is a good idea. Like, bro, who the fuck? Like, that is a dumb fucking idea. It is a dumb idea. Why was there nobody in that room saying, bro, this is stupid? 
this is just dumb. I don't know. This is dumb, and it's a bad idea. Call it something else. Call it anything else. Call it Kung Fu Panda for fuck's sake. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Lochino is a bad idea. Yeah, calling it Kung Fu Panda wouldn't make it any more racist. It's like it's as racist as it could get. Anyway, we're going to see. My my theory is that there are few enough Chinese in Miami, Chinese, Chinese Americans in Miami, and their voices are quiet and are quieted enough, aren't heard enough, that that place is going to do business hand over fist. And all, everybody yeah, who grew I up mean, like this guy, Los Chino, oh, I'm about Los Chino, is going to go there. And like every other restaurant, it's going to have a, it's going to have a year lifespan and then we'll never hear from it again. <laughs> Area turns five. Not like every years. other restaurant. Like every yeah. other, like every other idea that starts, you know, from a from a marketing standpoint versus an honest uh, uh, endeavor that comes from the yeah, yeah. from a person that wants to tell their point there, of view. There's a place, and, and you know, I, I spoke about this with my director of operations, Brittany Rothwell, a former guest on Panko Podcast. If you don't know her, reference uh, episode number. We'll insert it here because I don't remember. No, we won't. <laughs> That's too much work. Um, when you start growing into new concepts and so on and so forth, you think about things like, what does this concept mean? What is it for? Who is it for? Like, all those things. So something like Los Chinos, if it ever came into my office, it would be like, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry. Dumb. It's, it's pr- pretty dumb. It's pretty dumb. And I won't even waste any time on it because I don't think it adds any value to the Miami landscape. I'm going to tell a story. When oh. I was in college. Oh, man. Stories are good. When I was Back in college, in college I, at UF, I, the Gators. When I was in college, I went, to, I went up to the greatest university in the state of Florida. Relax with that statement. <laughs> I went up with uh, my, my best friend. And uh, and we we um, we'd all grown up in the Miami bubble, and by the Miami bubble, I mean Kendall. Uh, no, I mean in the sense <laughs> that like it's it that that white passing Hispanics go as white. Oh man, yeah. That Cuban culture is the norm. One hundred is fully expects uh, understood, is universal. Uh, that we are the not the minority. We are the majority. In we this are part the of the And we get up there and uh, and we grow up like uh, the black community is the minority to us, you know, right? In, in, in South Florida in general, like a true minority. We get up to UF and we meet, we meet people from all over the state. Not just all over, the, obviously all over the world, all over the state. My buddy says to this one guy who became one of our best friends, black kid from, uh, from Tallahassee. And he says, yo, what's up, my N-word? Because in Miami, you get away with saying that when you look like us. The three of us are all white, white passing, you could say down here. Yeah, no, we play both sides of the fence. Nobody's going to tell you, yo, what is that word? Because people grew up saying that, especially if you played sports. I got a story for and I and, and usually if it was like a team of like, you know, 20 white guys and two black guys. The two black guys aren't necessarily going to be like, hey, that's a really offensive word. But this kid in a different context, he's like, yo, what is that word? Like, you can't use that, man. 
And he, like, we got a schooling that day outside of class from a friend about what it means, about what that word means. And I hope that there's a person of Chinese background that hears Los Chinos and gives us a schooling on what that means to them. I, I will say. Because that's me, privilege. That What we did right there, where we came, we came I, from a place of privilege. I got a couple of things. All right. So me, personally, a restaurant called Los Chinos, I would not go to. That's just me. Right? Because I think, like, first of all, the name is dumb. So I think the food is going to be dumb. And it doesn't matter all the, because I am almost sure, the influencer, the bite, bite for bite, and the, the influencer hoopla will be at a maximum when that place opens. That will nothing but draw me away from it. So I will never go there. That's one. Secondly, I, being someone that played sports for many years and still affiliates with sports a lot, um, when I went to Virginia, right, and I am, you know, like the whole, like I could pass for any side of the aisle here because I'm Cuban, but I look very white. So everyone was very confused. <laughs> That's true. They were. They were all very confused when I went up there. My best friend, and still to this day, is uh, an African-American dude that's, you know, he's got roots to Hawaii and the Samoan culture and the whole thing. And he had dreadlocks and the whole, all of that. I was, I'll never forget it. I think I've said this before. My dad, um, <laughs> he... He went up. He drove me up there, and when he when we got up there, his flight was supposed to leave on Sunday, and on Wednesday he was like, "I don't like it here. I'm leaving tomorrow." Wow. Good <laughs> yeah. luck. Yeah. No, and he did, and he got on a plane the next day, and he fucking left. And he the last thing he told me before he got on that plane was like, "In your journey here, because me and my dad had actually not spoken for two and a half years at that time." In your journey here, when you make friends, make African-American friends and not white friends. And I didn't understand all that. I didn't unpack all that, right? I said, what do you mean? He said, you'll learn. That might be the wisest thing my dad has ever told me in my life of 35 years. That might, may be the moment my dad was the wisest he's ever been. <laughs> I don't know. And in the four years that I was there... I learned so quickly because my friends that were black, they accepted me as one of theirs. Like, it was like, you, you're one of us. These people don't like you. So in reference to that word, the N word, right? That was a, it was an evolving period for me. If you've ever known it, right? You know, like people always talk shit about like how I have braids and how I have dreadlocks and, you know, the tattoos and the gold teeth and the X whole thing. X to the Z. X to the Z, whatever it may be. But in that time frame, those that community is the one that accepted me as one of their own. And the truth is, is that the other community said they accepted me, but they didn't. And I learned so much about that interesting seesaw battle of race and culture and things. Because no matter what, no matter who accepted me and who didn't, I was still Cuban at my core. And the roots that I 
that I that I have and who I was had nothing to do with either one of them. But one of them accepted me as one of them, and the other one didn't really accept me at all. And it's something I learned so much about life. You know what I mean? Like, it's just been like a... As much as I talk about, you know, like, Ariad is a, a concept that embraces Miami, but through its Cuban roots, and the company as a whole really does that. I learned so much about race and community and understanding and acceptance in those four years than I have ever learned in my entire life. And I think more so than anything is the cultures that have feel like they have been wronged, right? They want to look at the people that they feel have been wronged also and they want to accept them. And, you know, my best friends at that time, Nick Teague, Neil Young, Alfonso Griffin, Dave Thomas. I mean, at one time, it was a house of five dudes, and it was me and four African-American guys. And those were like my family. We played spades every night. We smoked black and milds every night. Like, those were my people. And that is why I understand this struggle of, like, racial appropriation and things like naming a restaurant so much. It, it just It's so dumb to me. Like, when I look at what those... And, it's like, if I'm in a room with these people, and let's say I'm nobody, I'm just a guy, and they're all talking about this, I'm like, hey, dudes, this is the dumbest fucking idea I've ever heard in my fucking life. Can you look around the world and understand, forget about your business model, forget about if the food is good, this is stupid. Calling a restaurant Los Chinos, from a business standpoint, is dumb. And yes... The younger version of Miami will flock to it. If there's a bunch of DJs and the music is bad and the fucking and the drinks are cheap, they'll flock. They'll go there. COVID, all the things are gone and everything is fine. And, you know, they'll flock there. But it doesn't make it good in any way. Because I look for good from foundation, not from financial. Financial is there. There's a bunch of shit restaurants in Miami that financially do great. But foundationary value... I don't see the value in it. I think we might be underestimating the impact of the offensiveness, real or perceived, and what it will do to their business. Yeah. I got to take a leak. That thump you just heard, that was my pen ass hitting the bottom of the table. <laughs> <laughs> now on 1210 The Man, Tomberg's pen ass hits yeah. the bottom of the table. That's going to be our 1210 The Man promo on like every episode. <laughs> All right, I want, here's what I want to do. We talk too much. We spend too much time talking about a fake ass Chinese place. What if let's go through five Chinese places that you like in Miami? Can I say? Can I say a couple that I like? Sure. Yeah. I love number one on my list is Conchao. Have you been there? All right. It's like on eighty fourth. It. It's like on eighty uh, fourth Avenue, Southwest eighty fourth Avenue, and just off of uh, Bird Road. Yeah. No, I know it. I we, haven't been there. Though. We just feasted there. We feasted there. Okay. And that's like my favorite side. They're Venezuelan Chinese, as I understand it, who have been doing this place for like like 30 plus years. I love that. I love King Palace up on 163rd. Like you walk in and they do a certain number of roast ducks a day. And when they run out, they're out. Love that. It's but like then they take yet. the rug, they break King it down. They break it down. They bring you the, you know, they do like Peking duck style, you know, with like the hoisin sauce and everything. It's fantastic. Um... 
And then everybody loves Dumpling King. I could, you know, I've, I've had fine experiences there, but you know, I'll give them some love. Sure. What are some places that you like? I think tropical Chi- tropical Chinese. Tropical Chinese. Like that's like that's like when you want to like dress up nice and you go tropical, to tropical Chinese. Go to church. Come on, <laughs> bro. Have you seen it? Have you seen it recently? No, bro. They redid it. Yeah, it's super they nice. They got you want to go there, Mike? Put on your nice ascot. No, they- and and bring it. Bring an extra couple mu- uh, extra couple bucks. Because okay. it's like it's conchao, but they charge a little bit more because it's nicer. Yeah, I grew up. I grew up going to tropical Chinese. I drew. I grew up going to Canton. Canton. Going, yeah, Canton. I grew up going to, uh, what's the one on uh, Geralda? Bangkok. Yeah, Bangkok, Bangkok. Right. They got the best chicken Which is tiny. Ty- they do like, same thing. Like Miami's like tiny Chinese and then they're like, uh, we'll do a little Thai. And they do a little, you know what I mean? So you got to still make money, man. That, yeah, make money. You got, people want to eat certain things and you got to fucking do it. It's and a burrata, so it's, it's a burrata salad. Well, and and I love no name Chinese. My kid had like a, a school function thing that went late at night, and it was we were nearby, and I took her and a friend who had ne- a kid from like Iowa, who had never had any Asian food at all, and I took her to no name Chinese, and that kid's head exploded, and we gave her all kinds of like you know. Shout out to Pablo Sitzman, one of my shout best out to friends Pablo. and hardest workers that I've ever met, and I cannot wait for him to open. Yep. Amen. What like, was what is the rabbit hole that I, I'm not allowed to be in? Okay, we're, come on, we're not we're not info. we're not going down this road. I know we gotta wind we're down, not going down on. this road, but we were talking ghost kitchens. Oh man! So we're not doing that. Here's what I, here's the only thing I'm gonna say about ghost kitchens. No, the only, you don't know what you're doing. I'm just gonna say the oh, only here's the only thing I'm gonna you're say. You're never about, going. You've home. already said enough, so you can't say anything else. I'm gonna say when COVID has ended, has ended. I am never gonna decide whether I'm gonna stay home and order food. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm never going to, but you're not allowed to speak. I'm not. That's tough for me. <laughs> I'm never going to, if I decide I'm going out, nothing that I can order delivered to me in a box is going to keep me home. None of, nothing. Nothing that I can order in a box is going to keep me home if I'm decided I'm going out. So when, when the world gets back to normal, right now, Ariette and Chugs, formerly was, Nave were competing with these other ghost kitchens. But when you weren't, you weren't doing delivery, you weren't doing delivery before. So, but now you're doing the, but when it goes, the world goes back to normal. I want to go to Ariette. I want to go to Nave, which I've still not been to. I must confess. I want to go to Nave. I don't want to have some ghost kitchen pasta delivered to my house. So that's all I'm going to say. Don't do it, Mike. Don't do it. Nah. There's room for both. No, those number of cozy kitchens will will whittle down and go away, and it's only for people who get home and it's nine thirty at night and they're hungry and they don't want pizza again because only pizza and Chinese are the only thing they used to deliver back in the days. Eh? And they're gonna get delivery. Like none of those people at nine thirty at night is gonna put on their clothes and go to Nave or go to Ariette, get dressed, and go and have a nice dinner. Those people just need to eat and go to sleep, but they just don't want pizza. That's that's all I'm gonna say about that. Look at, man, Mike's face is red. Is this This nose red? This is where we do our wind down, ladies and gentlemen. You know, (laughs) I'll leave it at this. Uh And I I just have one statement. And it's only because I've had a long day and I've had a couple Negronis. And I just, I want to save my peace here. And I won't talk about how I feel about ghost kitchens. I'm going to talk about dining. 
right? For me, dining and food is a romantic experience. I know for many people, it is to just... It's a satiation, like, you know, they need, they're hungry and they want to feel full. Eat to live. That's right. You don't live to eat. I, I, that's a big thing for me because obviously my weight loss battle, but the idea of dining for me is a romantic one. The idea of food is romantic. And I feel like where Miami loses the needle is because it's not romantic. We need to be romantics about it in order for us to break into that next level of dining, right? New York, Chicago, L.A., I'll be them very close right now. And they've always been romantic about dining. Dining is a part of life. Dining is going out to dine is a part of the daily thing. And the reason why Miami has not broken into that next level, one is because, and we won't broach this, but it's because of the media, right? and how they approach dining, and secondly, because of how we as a community approach dining. To me, when I go out to eat, it's for an escape from the world. And during the pandemic, I think it was more so than ever. And I think that area, and I'm not fucking blowing smoke up my ass, but we tried to hone in on that as much as possible. We wanted to be that escape for so many people. And like I told everyone at pre-shift for months and months and months, this is everyone's chance. Whether we did eight covers, a hundred covers, 200 covers, it didn't matter. This is their opportunity to forget about what's happening in the world. And that's why I'm a romantic. You can't put that in a box. You can't do it out of this stainless steel box of a kitchen that you're working out of. There is no emotion. There is no attachment to that. And people could disagree with me. And I don't go, fuck. I don't care. (laughs) Like, it is just what I've experienced in my life. And I've worked in everything from fucking ratchet-ass bars to high-level what should be Michelin star kitchens to running my own businesses. Ghost kitchens are fine, but they are no different than Domino's. Amen. That's the the line. Ghost kitchens are alternatives to Domino's. That's it. That's it. Domino's is great, though. And this is where we do our parting recommendations. Uh, everybody's going to do a thing where they recommend... It could be anything. Something you watched, read, ate, place you went, sure. whatever it may be. And then, if you're still sticking around after these recommendations and the shameless plugs, you will have to be a Patreon subscriber to listen to whatever insane questions Mike, I'm willing to bet, is making up on the spot. Did you prep for this? No. Uh, so, parting recommendations. Carlos, you can go first or you can pass off to one of us. Parting recommendations. Uh, Get in there. And, and not shameless plugs because that comes after. So, okay, okay, recommending okay. things that are not yours. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm, you know, for the, anybody who's been living on a rock, The Mandalorian. God bless. I'm gonna recommend, man. What a good show! I'm gonna recommend the Mandalorian. Like that is the best Star Wars creation. I'm gonna go out and let me really? say, at times, oh, at times, at stuff. times, it's the best Star Wars property of anything that's ever been created under that name. At times, it's the best thing that's ever been created 
under the Star Wars name. That's tough, man. Let, without saying what happened, at the end of Season 2... Oh, yeah, no, it was epic. It was epic. At the end of Season 2, if you were a, grew up on Star Wars, if you didn't... If you weren't... Well, if your eyes weren't welled up, yeah, no, then I you know. weren't a real fan. And there's nothing I else... I was a little stoned when I watched There's probably it, so like... I welled up. Well, maybe. Oh, then you for sure you were... <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> when the Ewok and Baby Yoda met... No, you can't No, I'm kidding. I'm things. kidding. That, don't do, do it. That didn't happen. I, I haven't seen it. Maybe. So, maybe that didn't happen. I will eventually. But. Nick will watch it on YouTube, but it's free. Oh, man. No. An Ewok and Baby Yoda. That has to happen, right? Uh, At some point? We have I, to get I don't new... know what's going on here. But, but I'm saying, in general, my, Ewok oh, and Baby yeah. Yoda. Sure, I need yeah. to reference my only influencer friends. The Miami Food Pug that actually have a uh, a chia pet of Baby Yoda. It's wow, not Yoda, Yoda, it's Grogu, pet. but wow. a baby in in the little carrito that he has. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I like it. But Baby Yoda didn't have hair. That doesn't make Grogu, sense. Grogu, but it's okay. not Yoda. It's always gonna be Baby Yoda. <laughs> it's not Baby Yoda, bro. It's not. I can't. Anyways, right. spoiler alert. Party right. recommendations. So, I'm gonna recommend that I have really been diving deep into the 1998 album of Cannabis called Can I Bus? And I'm going to reference Second Round KO, the album version, unedited, as a thing that I have uh, knocked to a lot this week. I will also reference the fact that I have watched the show Shooter almost in its entirety. And albeit not a great show, rather entertaining, and I enjoyed it. Uh, to its extent, I will also reference an article that was completely about me, <laughs> which uh, it was on uh, FlamingoMag.com, uh, kind of written by Eric Barton, really not written at all. Kind because, of? Yeah, it was... As told, as told to... Has, uh, yeah, it's, it's as told by to... By Michael Beltran, as told to yeah. Eric Barton. I saw it, yeah. Yeah, reopening a restaurant isn't easy. Just ask Michael Beltran. I will reference my own article as good reading. Very good. <laughs> that sounds an awful lot like the shameless plug. But that okay. was 100% a shameless pass. plug. I'll let you pass. 100%. Sneaky, sneaky shameless plug. I'll just, I'll do what I can here. Hey. Come uh, to Nave. Come eat. We're open five days a week. It's not time. It's not time. All right. That's fine. I'm going to recommend two things. Now. Number one, a podcast called In the Corner. Pankum Podcast. No, not Pankum Podcast. <laughs> It's a podcast called In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. I have been a guest on this podcast. So has past Pancom podcast guest Ricardo Paoyosa. But most recently, um, they had Rosa Maria Paya on as a guest. So if you didn't get enough Rosa Maria Paya on Pancom podcast, check that out. And second recommendation, a YouTube channel called Whistlin' Diesel. Whistlin' Diesel is a YouTube channel made by a bunch of Indiana people. And if you are fascinated by what country folk do with trucks, it is incredible. The most recent video I watched was where they put four giant monster truck tires on their Ford F3-something-50 or Nosakabinga. And they put all these like extenders on them so they stuck out past the wheels and they took it out into the gulf of mexico uh wow wild stuff whistling diesel uh i was fascinated i watched way too much whistling diesel 
Uh, that's my recommendation. I'm not shocked by that at all. Carlos, shameless plugs. Is a sandwich? What's that? Is a hot pocket a sandwich? A hot pocket. Listen. A hot pocket is not a sandwich. A hot pocket is very clearly a hand pie. Okay, okay. It's one of those. This is quickly. ridiculous. All right. That's uh, Carlos, it's shameless plugs. It's not a shameless plug. <laughs> not a bug. Shameless plug, MiamiHerald.com. These guys pay I my... I subscribe personally every month to MiamiHerald.com. They pay my bills. They, uh... Look, if you live in Miami, you care about... The things that affect you most are everything local. Local politics, local food, you know, all those things, local music, all those things affect your life much more than anything else. So if you need to know about what's going on in South Florida, get a subscription. They're really cheap. Get a digital only. Don't get the paper delivered no, to your I, house. I get the... I'm a digital only. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Me too. I, um, I feel like the politics portion of... The Miami Herald should be bigger. Agreed. It should. The, uh, if we were looking at the Miami Herald as a whole, we should just. It should be like forty percent politics, thirty percent food, and then thirty food, huh? Oh yeah, come on. And then sports. The rest sports twenty percent, ten percent is weather. It's fine. All right, weather. Yeah. All right, right on. All the other stuff doesn't really matter. Right. That's fine. That's how I'd like to unpack that. Shameless plugs. Um. I already did FlamingoMag.com. That's right. Yeah, yeah, all of your social media things. Right. You know, you know they're, they're changing. Uh, apparently, we're going to start having a Pig Inc. apparel. At Pig oh, yeah? Inc. apparel. Yeah. We are um, in the midst of um, relaunching our merchandise line because the world of today is all about however you can make money. So... Give me all your money on Pig Inc. Apparel. At Pig Inc. Apparel. Very good. And then there's Pig Inc. And then there's uh, Nave Miami, Ariette Miami. Stay tuned to Chug's Diner, which has already had building issues. But we are building that bitch new. Um, and there will be a new Instagram handle very soon. Very good. New thing. Very good. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, I like it. DadeMag.com slash podcast for past episodes. You can find Bank... What, what, Mike, but, what? I, how can I not talk about this? Today is the 12th yeah. of January. Yes. Ariad turns five Ooh. in two days. Yeah? Five years old. We're not doing any big party like we've done in the past because I just don't have the mental bandwidth to do it. But Ariad turns five in two days. Shot a brunch? That's on the 16th. So that's which, happening. Uh, I have to talk to possibly the poppy. At least that. play Sade. That's it. That's all you got to uh, do. I mean, listen, I'll talk to Dave. We'll make a playlist. This is Sade's birthday, right? Sade's birthday? Yes, yeah, 16th yeah. of January. Uh, that's, a great, that's, a, that's a great thing to be tied to. Sade man. brunch, man. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to Sade. So, Dave Helen, Mag. Helen. Her name's Helen. Dave Mag. Her name's Helen. <laughs> DaveMag.com slash uh, Pancom Podcast at Pancom Podcast on all of the social media things. You can also go to uh, YouTube.com slash DaveMag for all of our YouTube stuff. And if you want extra content, and depending on how much you've pledged, a mug or a tote bag, God forbid you should be a Pancom Podcast tote bag person, that's Patreon.com slash DaveMag. If we get enough people on there, I may be the third person on this episode with a Miami Herald subscription. I have a shameless plug. <laughs> Go for it. I'd like to plug the Lazy Oyster. Okay. This is not an ad. 
It's totally, just a plug. This is just a plug. DJ Khaled plugged them pretty hard, huh? I'm way bigger than DJ Khaled. That's true. I mean, what does that guy know? He eats everything. That's true. Yeah. He, he the best. I'm just saying it because Carlos is here and he's a Miami authority on food. I think you should try the Lazy Oyster. I'm very excited about it. And I'm a little scared. Why? I don't know, man. Tell me your fear. Look, my honest fear is that, like, well, like Bourdain said, all it takes is one bad oyster. I know. All I was it actually takes reading is one Bourdain's book today uh, about the burger chapter that's only two pages long. And it's like, um, my favorite line was, brioches are very good for breakfast. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> makes sense. Brioche is good for breakfast, not good for donuts, not good for bread, for burger bread. You don't think it's good for, bur- uh, for a donut? No. I mean, it's very sweet. No, it's not oh, good. Man, for this is a whole other podcast. Yeah. So, this is where it ends, unless I you're on Patreon. So. so, Mike, this is where you do your Patreon thing. Whatever your Patreon thing is, what are people paying for this time? I'm not sure yet. I'll figure it no, out. No, you figure it out now. Yeah, five questions. <laughs> Thank you.